Because I can control the weather, they call me Storm. Welcome to This Week in Nerd News, your one-stop shop for all of the pop culture you may have missed this week. Brought to you by the Black Nerd Problems Broadcasting Network. I am your host, Mikkel Snyder. And I am your host, Keith Ree Cleveland. It's August, apparently. This is this is still news to me, um, this concept of months and days of the week. But it's August, and the end of July had had a lot of exciting news announcements, and we'll we'll get to some of them. But uh, Keith, you you brought something to our attention that happened fairly recently, so. So this is something that we've talked about among ourselves pretty regularly, so among those normal topics. But I figured it's probably good for us to use our platform, and bring it to the podcast, and I'm talking about the lack of diversity in the comic book industry and or lack thereof. And in this case, we're talking about Marvel. So depending on your involvement with the industry, you may or may not be aware that diversity in comics is a major pain point. Like many creative spaces, there have been widely publicized efforts to add new faces and perspectives to comics publishing with very success. This week, however, Marvel came under some harsh criticism for its failure to keep up with the times. In comics specifically, Marvel staffers came out anonymously to express doubt after the company made a pledge to bring in and cultivate more diverse talent. To give some numbers to back up just how far off the mark the company is, Business Insider reports that the editorial staff of 18 only includes two people of color, neither of which are black. To make matters even worse, since 2015, Marvel has reportedly only had two black staff members, both of which were assistant editors, and one of whom quit after five years without a single raise or a promotion. And a female staff member left after three years of the exact same treatment, only to get a promotion within a year at another comic book company. So this is not this seems to be more of a Marvel issue than anything else. One former employee was quoted as saying, the guy who made a commitment to diversity and wanted to try new things was fired. And if you're aware, that's clearly in reference to 2017's departure with former editor-in-chief Axel Alonso, who was responsible for the push for diversity through the introduction of characters like Miles Morales and Kamala Khan and Sam Wilson's tenure as Captain America. And it's not only comics that are the issue here either, folks. On the film side, MCU star Anthony Mackie took a moment during an interview with David Diggs last month to point out the lack of diversity behind the camera in the MCU. Quote, it really bothered me that I've done seven Marvel movies where every producer, every director, every stunt person, every costume designer, every PA, every single person has been white, said Mackie. Once things get in better position, Mackie set out to bring up the concept of Sam Cap, as I love to call the character, to life, which will likely turn some heads for a mix of reasons. With all of this being officially brought to life, even though we all pretty much knew anyway, do you have any faith that Marvel can and actually will pursue diversity, Mikkel? And if they do so, how might they go about doing it? Oh, stretch it out. Here we go. Deep dive, folks. When I first started writing for Black Nerd Problems way back in the day, many moons ago, um, my, my very first editorial was uh, about Asian American representation in comics because as a Filipino American, something near and dear to my heart, and the reason that it was prompted is because uh, I had just discovered, like many at the time, uh, that Marvel's new editor-in-chief who took over for Axel Alonso was a man by the name of C.B. Sabluski, mm-hmm. uh, also known as Akira Yoshida. 
this is still a thing that happened. So, uh, for context, back in the day, C.B. Sabluski was an editor for Marvel at one point or another, and he would very much like to forget, make us all forget this fact, but he moonlighted as a Japanese man named Akira Yoshida in order to write comics because of a technical, uh, of a not technical loophole, but like there was a company policy, like if you were an editor, you couldn't write. So he he made a fake Japanese persona, wrote comics that took place in Japan, mind you. Like he did a Daredevil thing where it's sort of like Daredevil goes to Japan and, and whatnot. And that was a thing that happened. And now he's editor-in-chief, and he's still editor-in-chief three years later. And I just, I have, I have so many feelings about that man. All of them, all of them with ill intent. And it's, it's a shame because Marvel has, in fact, done a lot of good things for Asian American representation, right? And like, they, they've done, like, steps. Like, Greg Pak did a great, st- did a great run with the Agents of Atlas and is keep going on with that. He introduced a new Filipino uh, hero with Wave that was then written by Alyssa Wong, and that, that was a great arc, and I've loved seeing that character grow and develop, but like, it's still under the direction of a man who went by the name Akira Yoshida, and I don't think I can stress how messed up that is. Enough! Enough! It's just, it's, it's baffling to me, and Marvel has produced lots of good comics, since his inception, but it's just sort of like, why, why are you, it's just frustrating, right? And that's on the comic side. (laughs) I need to talk about the television side for just like a small moment, because with the Comic-Con like convention circuits last week, Peter Shinkoda talked about like how Jeff Lowe was sort of like, no one wants to see an Asian uh, main character in the thing, and there was that whole bit with that, of like Nobu's character arts and development, and let's not even talk about the fact that when uh, Jeff Loeb was promoting Iron Fist, he wore a karate gi on stage. Like, there's just systemic issues going on with with how it was approached in a wide variety of ways. Um, and yeah, I have I have so many mixed feelings about like consuming media that that does that because like Daredevil was good. Daredevil killed a lot of random Asian people on screen just constantly because like that that was the thing that they did. And then sort of like you could and to say nothing of Iron Fist, which oh. is something else entirely. Um and and again, Marvel's not alone in this. Like DC also has its systemic problems with it with its uh, diversity staffing. And, like, well, Ray Fisher talked about how his barber Wayne Nem- Nemhard uh, wasn't credited in his Justice League film, even though, like, he was on set constantly helping out with that. And that's why Fisher was pushing for uh, him to be included in the credits of the Snyder Cut. Like, there's just a whole bunch of systemic problems with, like, the people behind the camera and in front of the camera. And there's, we don't have time to talk about how all of this is just frustrating because like we want to consume media because it's it's good but like we we trace it there like media is not created in a vacuum and i'm gonna stop talking because i think i've been talking for like five minutes straight (laughs) a lot of this can't even start to happen or it can start to happen but a lot of this won't really be effective unless you get it from the top down and do you are you aware who's at the top of marvel entertainment Mikkel? at marvel entertainment it's a trump supporter isn't it 
Yes, sir. Name, a billionaire by the name of Ike Perlmutter is the CEO and executive chairman of Marvel Entertainment. That's all you really need to know about that. Like, I remember when that news first broke and I had all kind of conflicted feelings. You know, there is a possibility he might be one of those hands-off people that's like, hey, make me money, I don't care, which gives me a little bit of hope, which basically means if we can get people like the current editor-in-chief of Marvel who's a headache. And I saw him speak at Comic-Con once. He was still concerning there, too. But um, if we can get people like Bats either to step aside or to like put other people in the right position to do work, that's one thing that can't happen. I mean, in recent years, Marvel has done some things even after Alonso was gone, like bringing Eve Ewing in to do Riri Williams, I think is something that you can really highlight as a good moment of diversity because you had a black woman coming in comics, which no matter how many black women are fans of comics, there are not nearly enough working in the industry itself. So you had a black woman come into comics writing about a black female character from the same city and everything, which I think was great. Now, we can talk more about how that whole thing played out as far as like the amount of issues and the way their story went and everything. Not as far as quality, but as far as like development that's a different story but that was at least the initiative the first like attempt at making a good decision and everything but again like you said this is not just a marvel issue dc has its own issues when it comes to this as well there's a long list of it throughout comic books and this is something we need to see remedy for sure but i think like starting from the top is one way to approach this maybe take it like from both sides with like bringing in more talent, developing them, but also having leadership in place to understand how important that is so they can cultivate people. Because going five years in the industry without a raise or a promotion is kind of insane. Like I know that comics financially is in a weird spot right now and has been for a while, but it's clearly a Marvel issue of one of these people I talked about went to a different comic book company and got a promotion within a year. So, I mean, that's just concerning and something that needs to be addressed for sure. Well, I'm glad this piece came out. It doesn't seem making enough waves as far as my liking is, but at least people like us are able to talk about it and bring more light to it. So, I'm, I'm going to pivot just very quickly about, like, another thing. Like, this isn't just, like, big two comics or, like, the floppy industry right now. This is, this is syndicated comics right now. Um, you know, the stuff that you see in newspapers. Um, one of my friends is uh, Steens, who is a Twitter personality uh, cartoonist who's done a lot of fantastic things. Uh, she's taken over Heart of the City which is a syndicated comic run all over the country, and you can read it on Go Comics right now. And I'm not just plugging her comic because it's fantastic, even though it is, and you should read Heart of the City right now. But she's one of, like, two black women who's doing a syndicated comic right now. Just, like, generically. And that that's wild that there's only two right now. And, yeah, and it's... It's great that it's happening, but it's also uh, like, I mean, why like, is this taking I, so long? In case of many people who are fans of comics, have had moments like, you know what, it'll be really nice to go ahead and do this and write about it and like be a part of that industry. But when you look at it, you're like, there's no room for me. Which is, I think, one of the biggest issues when it comes to there being a lack of diversity is that, yes, you already have one, but it's so hard to introduce at that point because you're already so far off the mark where you only have two black employees on the entire staff. I mean, as you know, in the past five years, you've only had two black employees on staff for the entire company. Something's wrong there on a fundamental cultural basis that needs to be remedied for sure. But I mean, hey, if Marvel's willing to actually follow this pledge they made and they came out with saying that they have a commitment to this, 
I'm willing to give them a chance to see if it's actually happening. But there's also a very, very good possibility. They were just doing their part to fall in line with what was happening in the country with the amount of protests following George Floyd and other, other examples of racial injustice and just making their statement. They don't actually plan to execute. But I'm going to be more optimistic than that. Hopefully something actually happens. So now that we've been reminded of how Daredevil treated its Asian characters and kind of relived the fact that we got two seasons of Iron Fist, everyone. Two seasons starring Finn Jones, who did not know how to do fight choreography in that first season, and they did not have him in a mask for whatever reason. Uh, let's take a second to look at a series that does Asian-American representation correctly. Uh, Cinemax's Warrior. It's a little hard to drag down since despite HBO owning Cinemax, it hasn't managed to put the first season's uh, episodes into its massive library. So you're either going to have to purchase the first season on Amazon or get access to Cinemax's streaming library one way or another. But let me tell you right now that Warrior is enough to justify that cost by itself. It is fantastic. It is produced by Shannon Lee and Justin Lin, and it's home by Jonathan Troper as its showrunner. Hashtag us Banshee fans already know. And if you're not in the know about Warrior specifically, it's based on a treatment that Bruce Lee did way back in the day, and that at the time when it was presented, no one would produce because no one thought it would succeed. Which is, again... Something that's been going on for a much longer time than we ever had to talk about and we will ever have to talk about. But thankfully, 2019 proved the world wrong and the first season of Warrior featured this amazing cast of Asian leads. You got Andrew Koji, Olivia Chen, Jason Tobin, Diane Doan, and a Banshee alum Hoon Lee. And it created one of the finest martial arts series and westerns that we could have ever hoped for. It is a fantastic suite of episodes. We at the Black Nerd Problem site gushed over the series when it debuted. And we have some fantastic interviews with the uh, women leads. And it's on our site right now. You should go check that out and you should get hyped. Because the reason that I'm talking about it this week is that Warrior announced that Season 2 will be premiering this October. And I will be dusting off yet another streaming service package. Just so that way I can watch this fantastic series and just revel in what proper Asian American representation looks like. Because it's so good, Keith. It's so good. I was aware of this show and of course the Black Nerd Problems family. They've talked about it in different circles and love it for, for reasons I can understand. And I just looked at it while you were talking about it real quick. I'm like, this is right up my alley. I love this. This is perfect and everything, right? And I'm surprised that more people don't know about it, actually. But again, I'm glad that we're here to have this platform to help people know about it. And then maybe that can be like the spark that ignites a fire, right? But this definitely, we need more examples that handle representation correctly that we celebrate and treat throughout and like expand more. Because... Personally, and you can definitely disagree here, I'm one of those people who, if we have something that's from a culture that isn't represented very often, but it's not good, I let people know it's not good. And a lot of people are from the standpoint of, you know, we still have to support it we don't get this opportunity that often, and we need to help it when we can. I'm of the mindset of, look, if we keep supporting Tyler Perry's bad movies or, like, late career Spike Lee's bad movies, 
that's going to be what they think is acceptable and not actually challenge people to make these better movies than these better projects that are more ambitious and tackle more topics, things that we haven't seen before. And also, they're going to be viewed as what's safe. So people are going to think, oh, cool, like, we'll just go ahead and release our one to two black movies of the year from Spike Lee or Tyler Perry, and then we'll be fine and make our money back. That's all that matters. So that's why I think we should celebrate things that are great and be respectably critical of things that aren't. And I think this is an opportunity for us to take a moment to talk about something that's amazing and shout about it to the mountaintops and make sure more people hear about it. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think we have to be critical about the media that we consume. And I think it doubly goes for the media that is is promoted as being diverse, as promoted as being like representative of something else. So like when it does representation badly, we do have to acknowledge that. And it's unfortunate because it's just like, yes, we want things to succeed, but like we want the right things to succeed. Um, and and Warrior just does so many things just really well um, because you know it it was written by Bruce Lee back in the day, and like you you see that you feel that sort of like oh so here's the martial arts actions that we've always wanted like here is like a a very like driven narrative that is rooted within like the Tong Wars and this like western like developing America where like people are coming in and like we see a lot of different components moving and it's just it's great the way that they handle uh the differences in like language is really cool because like they will like start doing like the the Chinese uh dialogue and one thing and then the camera will pivot and then we'll like hear it in English from their perspective and like there's a lot of like small details like that that just are handled really well and really beautifully and I yeah and I understand if people haven't heard of it because Cinemax is one of those more like prestigious not prestigious but like it, it's definitely deeper into like the libraries than than most go into but like it's still it's still findable and like it's worth finding now that people know yeah, about sure. it I thought you were going to ask you about so the language good. thing and everything so there good. like I'm totally cool watching subtitled movies and their shows and everything like that. But I was just curious about that. And that's actually really cool and fascinating. Because, like, I think that's a way to reach a wider audience as well. So, like, put it in front of the people and they should love it. It it creates that sense of immersion, right? Which is sort of like, okay, we're going into their heads. We're seeing it from their perspective. Well, it still captures that, like... Yes, you know that they're not speaking English right now, but like just for the sake of like imagination, and so that way we can like keep this as authentic as possible and like easy for like a storytelling medium. Here's a cool trick. Um, everything about it so good. Um, and and if you haven't seen Banshee, Banshee was famously known for having some of the best fight combat choreography just ever. Warrior continues that trend, and that. Just look up like warrior clips and you're just going to be like, ah. All right. We don't know exactly how the Emmys are going to happen this year since we're still on the 120th day of March, also known as August. And we're still in quarantine for sake of ourselves and the others and everyone around us. But as the saying goes, uh, the award show must go on. 
Now, when we talked about the Oscars earlier this year, we definitely noted that award shows are fundamentally flawed in a lot of different ways, but that we can also acknowledge that even if the accolades are not the end-all, be-all of what is considered good media, it's also admittedly nice when we get to see something we love get the shine it rightfully deserves. Um, So Emmy nominations came out this week, and we'll go over some of our highlights later, but just for like some overarching numbers, Netflix has a whopping 160 nods across all of the categories that exist. Um, But truly, the big winner and frontrunning for everything else to come is HBO's limited series and critical darling, Watchmen, with 26 different nods, the most out of any series overall. You got in fields like casting, cinematography, costuming, directing, and most importantly, lead actress Regina King, who just did so much good things in in the show. Um, and while I would love to spend the rest of our episode just discussing how everyone should watch Watchmen if they didn't watch it when it first premiered or when it was made available for free for Juneteenth, uh, Keith has cursed us to talk about Quibi yet again because somehow multiple Quibi series, yes, m- multiple series, got nominations. Now, All of these are in the lesser-talked-about short-form area that doesn't even show up on the Wikipedia page when you you look at Emmy nominations for the year. But the fact remains that Quibi, the the, the streaming service that has a series that features Anna Kendrick strong opposite a CGI sex doll, is now Emmy-nominated. That's a thing. So... Uh, find out if Quibi gets to be even more obnoxious with its advertisement and if Watchmen will sweep all of the rewards uh, on September 20th on ABC. Keith, I blame you for the fact that now we talk about Quibi more often. That is on Quibi for raising $2 billion in funds that they probably just threw half of that straight at the Academy. Like, hey, because now Quibi can say in all their advertising, Emmy nominated, which means they can try and get more advertisers. They paid for that. It's rigged. I'm sticking to that. That's my story. Now, going back to Watchmen, which you and I both love and adore because I think it's one of the best, if not the best, single season television we've ever gotten. Did you see the video of Yahya Abdul-Mateen II when he found out he was nominated for an award? It was on his Instagram. That babe gave me so much joy and happiness that I watched it about five times. I'm like, yes, you earned this because you played one of my favorite characters in everything and you did it wonderfully and you earned every single like accolade you're getting from this and all that. One of the surprising ones, at least for me, because speculative fiction has always had fun times when it comes to prime time, is that The Mandalorian got a nod for Best Drama Series, which is really exciting. Because that was just really good. And then I'm glad that The Good Place for its final season has gotten a nod for Best Comedy. That's really great. There's just a lot. There are so many categories in the Emmys that I just didn't know about. And they're like surprisingly specific in a lot of ways. Because like you have supporting actress, an actor, and lead actress. And both like drama, comedy, and then limited series. And then there's the short form versions of all of that. So... We don't have time to just read names because there are, there are so many names. There's a lot of good stuff out there, and you should use award lists not as a way to like rank which things that you should watch, but sort of like as a way to like, oh, maybe this would be something I'm interested in. Maybe this is something worth pursuing. Um, because again, award ceremonies don't really 
mean much and they will mean less as time goes on and the true homework of what is good media ultimately comes down for what you enjoy so i hope that these emmy noms which you can find online and on wikipedia very easily i hope that people who seek those find something that they enjoy because that's really what we want at the end of the day it's like finding good stuff and now we can just say go watch watchmen just right now get hbo max get hbo now i don't one of the hbo's i'm sure has watchmen so you should find it and you should watch it yes and also that same sentiment goes for like last week we talked about with comic books with the eisner award nominees and winners just go down the list find things you may like and just start your exploration there but with that we've done a lot of talking today so it's time to wrap things up here as we do every week we like to end our show with something called the lightning round where we can't get to every topic that happened in the space of nerd news during the week but there are a couple things we wanted you to be aware of at least so we'll just go through them really quickly so as far as this week is concerned jurassic world camp cretaceous i think i said that correctly a show about a bunch of children being chased by dinosaurs, like really, is set to hit Netflix September 14th and shouldn't be at all traumatizing, like not going to be at all. No worries. Um, a new graphic novel entitled Avatar The Last Airbender, Toph Bayfong's Metal Bending Academy, is set to release next February and will focus on the adventures of Toph as a metal bending teacher. After the first series ended, of course. George R. R. Martin is likely looking over his shoulder at every turn as he fell through on a promise that fans could, and I quote, Imprison me in a small cabin, dot, 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 until I'm done with the words of with the winds of winter by summer 2020, which we only have about a month left of. So we'll see how that pans out. And then lastly, Umbrella Academy season two dropped this week. And if you haven't started it, do it now. Like, really, the show here is pretty much over. So if you just start queuing it up on your Netflix, you can go ahead and start it as soon as we're done with the episode. So if you'd like to hear our thoughts on these topics or anything else in nerd news, Feel free to tweet us at Black Nerd Problems with the hashtag TWINN. That was This Week in Nerd News. Tune in next week for more pop culture news. Once again, I'm your host, Keith Reed Cleveland. I am your host, Mikhail Snyder. All right, folks, feel free to go ahead and like, comment, subscribe, everywhere listen to podcasts, and please do tell a friend. And enjoy your weeks out there, folks.